Super. Uh, kiddos, if you haven't already come up to grab a kids bulletin, feel free to come up. They're right over there. And uh, you can grab one and run it back. Moms and dads, others in the room, if you uh, have your Bibles, we're going to open to the book of Daniel, be in chapter three, preaching from the least Christmassy uh, passage of all time, I think, at Christmas time. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's some on the sides of the tech booth back there. Feel free to go grab one. If you need to grab one, you can borrow it or you can keep it. It's our gift. Either way is fine with us. And uh, we would be glad to, glad to do that, okay? Um, j- just of note, and uh, Carrie briefly mentioned this. Um, this is uh, so that everybody's kind of on the same page here. Our Harvey list in terms of drying people back in with uh, insulation and drywall uh, is down to about 15 homes. So, so, did you like that? <laughs> so, we're going to make one big push uh, that weekend, and uh, we're going to do everything we can to get those uh, families back into their houses, or at least uh, available to get back into their houses before Christmas. Um, we're coordinating all of our out-of-town volunteers for that weekend, all that kind of stuff. It's all going down that weekend, okay? So, uh, please make plans to come help if you can at all help, and uh, we would love that. Uh, you, there'll be more information that's uh, coming out, okay? Um, so, here in Daniel chapter 3, if you don't, um, if you don't know where the book of Daniel is, um, you go to the middle of the Bible, you find all these... Uh, 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 big long books like Psalms and then Isaiah and then Jeremiah and then Ezekiel. Right after Ezekiel comes Daniel. So you can kind of flip to the right. In chapter three, uh, got to read some scripture here to get us into the story and then we'll make some comments here. King, verse one, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and his breadth was six cubits. That's nine feet wide by 90 feet tall. Uh, he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent together the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials. Um, All these officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Uh, Then the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, you, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, can we just pause right there? That makes me laugh. King Nebuchadnezzar in a kilt, like that went through my mind this week. And every kind of music, you were to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, the pipe, a lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every other kind of music, all the people uh, fell down, all the people's nations and languages fell down and worshiped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, just a few more verses here, the Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Well, there are certain Jews um, whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So let's pause right there and just talk for a minute about what they were facing. Um. 
I told you it's the least Christmassy passage of all time. Hopefully that'll turn here in a minute in your minds. But just hang in there with me and let's talk about what they were facing. Um, but before Harvey hit and kind of you know went crazy with our fall, like Daniel was actually in the preaching plan. Because I think the cultural pressures that Daniel faced and the cultural pressures that we faced have a lot in common. And here's some of the things that they face. Here's one thing. This kind of cultural pressure to conformity. Big Nebuchadnezzar monument set up, and let's be clear, he's not setting up a monument to the gods of the land. Who's he setting up a monument to? Nebuchadnezzar, that's exactly right. Um, So this cultural pressure to conformity to worship uh, uh, an image, uh, really it's more about worshiping a man, that kind of cultural pressure to conformity, even, even in the face of what the Jews knew to be true, because the first of the big 10 commandments that God left is what? You shall have no other gods before me unless it's Nebuchadnezzar's big nine foot by 90 foot. No, 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 no. You shall have no other gods before me. Full stop. Period. End of sentence. That's it. But yet... All of these officials, we ran through them, all of the priests, the, the magistrates and the justices and the counselors and the treasurer, blah, 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 all of these people, when they heard all of this different kind of music, there was all of this pressure to everybody bow down and, and worship um, Nebuchadnezzar via his, um, his image, this golden image, this idol. The cultural pressure was to idolatry, not to godliness. Does anybody out there know anything about cultural pressure towards idolatry? Whether it be conformity to some particular line of thinking, conformity to a particular political or otherwise uh, informed worldview, whether it be uh, uh, a, a, um, an addressing or a, a um, maybe redefinition of morality or any other thing, there's this kind of cultural pressure to conformity, and the culture never pressures you towards godliness. It's always toward idolatry. Second thing that they faced, look in verse 13. After these folks had come and maliciously reported against them, verse 13, then Nebuchadnezzar in furious rage commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. And so they were brought, these men were brought before the king. Outrage. So outrage follows. When there's cultural pressure to conformity and people refuse to conform, what's the normal response of the gatekeepers of culture? Outrage. You don't think that happens? Look on social media. Anybody on Twitter? Ever seen somebody blow up Twitter precisely with outrage, be it faux outrage or otherwise? Um, This outrage from this lack of conformity. Now, everybody in here who's a parent, at least of a a younger kid, knows exactly what this feels like. Um, it, It goes something like this. You're at a dinner table setting. You've got children around you. And then there are cultural pressures at the dinner table to do simple things like use forks and knives, right? I mean, and when they do not conform, you don't think, well, all they're doing is eating like the kings and queens of old with their hands. You think what? Furious rage. That's what you think, right? So there's this outrage from a lack of conformity, and while it's kind of funny at the dinner table, it's a whole different ball game when people are pressuring you and the cultural pressure is to idolatry instead of godliness. It's a whole different ball game with those with power can then use that power to negatively impact the people of God. 
whether it be you are going to bake that cake, says the Supreme Court or some other thing, or whether it be you will bow down when the music stops, or any other expression of that. Outrage from this lack of conformity. The story keeps unfolding here um, in verse 14. Nebuchadnezzar answered, and he said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, so we've done, gone from is it true to if you are ready, if you are ready when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigger, harp, bagpipe, and every other kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? They faced pressure to conformity. They faced outrage when they didn't conform. And finally, what they had to stare in the face was this. This kind of, uh, if not conformity, then at least compliance. Fine. I will what? I will make you. I will make you fall down and worship. I will make you do what I said to do. If not conformity, then compliance. Nebuchadnezzar brings them in, sets them before and says, hey, you've been quietly rebellious out there. Look me in the eye now. Look me in the eye. Tell me you're not going to conform at this point. Tell me you're not going to bow down. All of the people standing around, all of the governors standing around, all the people who informed on him, told him about, you hear the fire crackling over here from the furnace, and here's Nebuchadnezzar the king, the most powerful man in the world at the time, looking at these three cats, and they're saying what? You will now conform. And if you're not going to conform, at least you're going to comply. Otherwise, it's the fire for you. If you're ready, is it true? And if you're ready, otherwise, it's the fire. If not conformity, then compliance. I, I put all that in place before we light this candle for this reason. Um, we talked about last week how there's this candle of hope. And you and I, we have hope because God keeps his promises. That's true for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's true for Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and David. And it's true for Heritage Park Baptist Church here at the end of 2017. God keeps his promises. Therefore, we are a people of hope. What's the over-under on me getting this thing to light here? There we go. We light the candle of hope as a physical reminder that God keeps his promises. And we light the candle of peace. The one thing I want you to walk out of here with. We light the candle of peace because God's in control. You and I, we have peace today because God is in control. Let's be clear about this. When we talk about this whole idea of peace, we're talking about the Hebrew word. The Hebrew word is shalom. And when we talk about peace, we're not talking about tranquility. You picture a lake, it's very still in the morning, right? That is not the peace that we're talking about. The peace that we're talking about is this sense of wholeness, no matter what the circumstances are, no matter what's going on out there in the world, no matter what North Korea or Syria or any other person is doing, no matter what your boss says or your spouse says or your kids say, this sense of, this sense of wholeness, this sense of peace 
even in the middle of all of this other stuff going on. We're lighting these candles as kind of physical representations so that you and I, when we glance up here, and when we look up here, when we see, we're going, hey, we remember that God keeps his promises. Therefore, we are a people of hope. We remember that God is in control. Therefore, we are a people of peace. We have this sense of wholeness, even in the midst of all the other stuff that's going on. So where did that peace come from? Uh, How did they get a hold of that here? There's two things this morning just want you to hold on to. Number one, they knew God. You want to be a person who is at peace no matter what's going on in the world, you need to be a person who knows God. And when we um, uh, talk about this, let's find it here in the text first. Uh, Look at the end of verse 15. Nebuchadnezzar has already threatened them. Hey, if you don't worship, you go into the furnace. Look at the last sentence of verse 15. And who is the God who will deliver you? Who is that God? Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered, said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us. So this is how this conversation went. Nebuchadnezzar, who is this God who can deliver you? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it's our God. That's who's going to deliver us. If we get delivered, it'll be by our God. Who is this God? It's our God. Our God, right here. This is who it is. Why are we saying that? Because why why do you you and I have this sense that, hey, if we're going to be people of peace, we have to know God. We have this sense, and this is true of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We have this sense of what God has done before. I mean, we've we've known him, we've walked with him, we've seen him, and we've heard the stories of other people who have known him and walked with him and seen him move. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being good Jewish boys, even though they were in Babylonian captivity at the time, they knew that God had delivered his people out of Egypt. They knew that God had seen his people through the Red Sea. They knew that God had led them and provided for them in the promised land, um, they, uh, excuse me, in, in the wilderness. They knew that God raised up Joshua to bring them into the promised land. They knew that God could defeat the walls of Jericho just by marching around. They knew um, that the other enemies would fall before God. They knew that when some other loud mouth, no count um, uh, egotist rolled out um, uh, and, and challenged David to a fight, that David would take a sling and slay the giant. I mean, they knew those stories that God had this track record of delivering his people. So when, when, um, uh, when Nebuchadnezzar goes, who is this God who can save you? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are going, it's our God. He's been doing this for years, man. They knew God. They knew God, and that's where their peace came from. That's the soil from which it grew, and people pushed back. Well, then why are they standing there before the king in in a foreign land, in captivity? The only reason um, they were there in Babylon Babylon was because God had chosen them to deliver, God had chosen to deliver them into the hands of the Babylonians because the nation uh, had fallen down and worshiped idols, and they're going, we're not going to do that here. No, no, we learned our lesson. We saw what happened. We know what's gonna, we know what we're gonna do. And when we talk about knowing, biblically, we're talking about not just information about God, but an intimacy with God. 
an intimacy with him. And when I talk about intimacy with him, we're not just talking about things that are true about him, although that's a, that's a key part of that. We're also talking about an understanding of things, uh, of, of things that he desires. We're kind of getting on his page, if you will. All right, everybody with me on that? I'll just illustrate this way. I had a husband win this week, and I wanted to go ahead and go ahead and brag. Um, here's why, because it so rarely happens um, in my world. Uh, most of the time, it's husband fail, and I, you know, anybody, anybody Anybody, husbands, you with me on that? So all my wife wanted, because this is at the top of everybody else's list. I get that. I understand. All my wife wanted for Christmas was a new kitchen sink faucet. Not at the top of everybody else's list? Fine then. We ordered it. It came in. It's sitting there on the uh, little uh, um, bar area. It's sitting there. And uh, if I can just confess, most of the time, in my world, something comes in and it sits there, and my immediate thought is, I'm going to get to that at some point in the future. Anybody with me, husbands? Who's with me here? Thank you so much. Um, until my wife um, has to say something along the lines of, hey, that has a layer of dust on it. Do you think you might be able to pull that out and get that project moving on along? Oh, yeah, I'll, I'll get to that. When, when, and then it goes in the calendar for when. So this is not that moment. I'm telling you, this is full on super husband moment. I look at that and I say to myself, self, that has been sitting there for about you know 12 hours now. I, there's a block of time here where I could get actually get that in. Because my wife's desire was not simply to have it. Here, honey, here's your new kitchen faucet right here. It's to actually have it in. Anybody with me on that? See, I mean, I'm thinking here. I'm thinking as a husband. I'm really getting after it. And so uh, th this kind of thing unfolds. And indeed, it took a lot longer to get the old uh, faucet out than get it in, the new one in. But it's in. It's working. It's beautiful. It's perfect. She came home, and it was done. And I thought to myself, Man, that's me. That's what I'm winning right here. This is what I do. I say that because there was a switch that flipped somewhere in the back of my mind by the grace of God that said, hey, it's not a matter of just having it here. You actually have to match the desire to get it in. In the same way, when we talk about knowing God, we're not talking about just having some information stacked somewhere. But we're talking about this kind of understanding, this level of desire, what is in the heart of God for his people. And when, so when we say knowing God, they have peace because they knew God. That's what we're talking about. What did they know of God? What, what was this sense? Number one, they knew that he was in control. They knew that God is in control. And they knew that he wanted to exert that control in some certain ways. Um, previously in the book of Daniel, in chapter uh, 2, verse 44, um, it says, And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. So here's the question. Uh, that kingdom that God is going to bring and establish, how long is it going to last? Forever. Nebuchadnezzar going to overpower that? No, nor any other king who's going to follow. Not the Roman kings, not the Holy Roman Empire kings, not the king of Britain or any other king. Nobody's going to overthrow it. He is fully in control. And that's what they know um, to be true of God. 
That's what they had experienced along with him because who delivers out of Egypt at the time? Only God does. The psalmist put it this way. This is just, you can just jot this down, but listen to it. This is one of those that um, it's, it's a favorite for me. Read it again this week. Psalm 115. It's Psalm 115 verses one to three. Listen to this. Not to us, O Lord. Not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Verse two, why should the nation say, where is their God? That's not unlike Nebuchadnezzar. And who is the God who can deliver you? They've been saying that for a long time. Why should the nation say where there's a God? And if, if there's a verse that you could hold on to to understand God, uh, you and I having peace because God is in control, this is the verse. I want it to just creep up on you and then soak deep down into the, the, the very marrow of your bones. Listen to this verse. Our God is in the heavens and he does whatever he pleases. Whatever he pleases. There's no vote that holds him in check. He doesn't have to take something to committee. There's not somebody who's launching a missile that's going to strike his kingdom and somehow blow it off the map. Listen to me. Our God is in the heavens, and he does whatever he pleases. He is fully and 100% in control. There is nothing outside of his power. There is nothing outside of his purview. There is nothing that he cannot control and ultimately redeem. Nothing. Whatever's going on in your life, church family, listen to me. You may be standing before Nebuchadnezzar. I'm telling you, there's nothing outside of his power. He is fully in control. Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. They also knew that God is worth speaking up for. This is the God that they know. So he says in Daniel Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered, said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter, but they're going to. Why? Because when God presents opportunities, what do we owe the world? We owe the world a verbal witness. Previously, they kind of went about their lives in this kind of quiet rebellion against this immorality and idolatry. You and I, we need to live our lives in this kind of quiet rebellion against um, uh, this immorality and idolatry in our culture. It doesn't do any good to just post on Facebook, folks. We have to live it out first. Then... God often uses our integrity to open up opportunities to speak. This quiet rebellion led to this verbal witness, and that's what happened. It led to this verbal witness. We don't have any need to speak, but God, I mean, to you, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, but we're going to because God is worth speaking up for. Um, Lastly, they knew that God was worth following. Look down at verse 18. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods we're not going to worship the golden image that you've set up. Again, first commandment of the Big Ten. You will have no other gods before me. Not a king who's threatening our death and not a big image on the plain of Dura. No other gods. We're not going to worship and serve your God. That's not, that's not what's going to happen. You're worth following, even to the death, even to the death. And that's an important piece of that. It is Our obedience is actually proof that we know him. So over, and again, you can just listen to this, but go look it up later. But over in the book of 1 John, uh, the whole book of 1 John is this kind of same theme repeated over and over and over again. How do you know that you know God? Chapter 2, uh, 1 John chapter 2, verse 3 And by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. 
Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. He's worth following, and that following is what proves that we actually know him. They knew God. They knew God, that he's in control, and he's worth speaking up for, and he's worth following him. Uh, and, And secondly, lastly, they not only knew him, they trusted him. Because of who he was, they trusted him. And that trust began with kind of this this rationale. It was very clear-headed. Either he will deliver us or we will die. That's how that went. And you see that in verse 16. Um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered, said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, let's get this whole paragraph here. We have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. That's faith right there. Verse 18. But if not... Be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you set up. They trusted God, and that trust looked like this. God, we believe, Nebuchadnezzar, that God's going to deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we're going down with the ship. We're not going to bow to your idol. He will deliver us or we will die. Does that sound strangely familiar to you? Because to me, it sounds a lot like to live is Christ, to die is gain. I'm looking at this, I'm saying, I see this, I see it unfolding before me, I hear the roar of the fire, I see all the people and officials surrounding, I'm looking at a very furious, raging king, and I'm saying, God's going to deliver me out of this, or I'm going to die. And if I get delivered, amen. And if I die, I get to go to paradise forever, to be with him forever. It's a pretty good deal when it comes down to this. In their minds, those are the two options. And honestly, those are two pretty clear-headed options at this point. These are two pretty clear-headed options. Um, they, they, that was how they saw them, and I think they're actually thinking pretty clearly here. It made me think, though, about some of the things that mess us up in, in our lives and how we um, have a moment where, where we could think clear-headedly and some of the other things that, that pop in. And it made me think about two things. Number one, it made me think about the role of emotion. Do you think Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were scared? I think they were scared. Courage doesn't mean that you're not scared. Courage just means you've got something in you that can overcome that fear. I think they're looking at a really, really angry king with all of the officials around and hearing the roar of the fire. They're looking at one another like, ugh. This is a bad day, isn't it? And, and they're saying, hey, listen, we don't have to answer you. We think God's going to deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we're going to go down being faithful to God. He will deliver us or we will die. I think they were scared. I think there are times when our emotions are very present and very powerful, but, and, and I should say and, and because they're very present and very powerful, we give them this sense of priority over everything else. Folks, if your faith is determined by what you feel in a moment, that is a bad way to do following Jesus. Because so often what happens is if our faith is determined by by what we feel in the moment, if our feelings have the final say over our lives instead of faith, what I have is an insecurity that is clamoring, if you will, to not feel so insecure, to feel comfort instead. It is a desire to make this feeling of being unsettled just go away. But if my faith leads the way instead of my feelings. It's not that the feelings aren't there and it's not that they're not real. I'm not trying to discount them. I'm simply saying there are ways for you and I to step forward in faith that says, I understand these feelings, but I'm still moving forward. I'll give you an example. Um, 
One of our church families, they're in the room, I won't embarrass them. One of our church families uh, got flooded out. They're sitting on the couch. Um, they're watching water begin to come into their house and how they're going to uh, uh, figure out what to do and see this through and that kind of thing. And the, the, the water crept in, but the fear came crashing in. Everybody with me on that? When that stuff starts coming your way, the fear stuff. So you know what they did? They grabbed hands on the couch and they started singing songs. I got a text last night about it. They said, we sang songs about God's power and his goodness because we didn't want to forget his power and his goodness in the middle of our fear. Yes. I feel this and it's real, but I'm not going to let it determine what uh, actually uh, what my next step is. They don't get, my feelings don't get a priority. My faith does. He will deliver us or we will die. And the role of emotions is a powerful role. The second part that made me think about it is all this um, plural language. The three of them answered, said to the king, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us and he will deliver us out of your hand. If not, we will not worship your gods uh, or serve the golden image that you've set up. It's good to have some we in your life. That's what I'm saying. It's way easier to stand in faith when you've got people who are standing beside you. Sometimes you do have to go it alone. But man, it's way better to have people standing beside you to go, hey, we're, we are in this together. Church family, listen, that's why Sunday schools, small groups, and other places where you can connect with people in our church are so important. That's why circles, we call them circles. That's why they're so important for you to be able to have a, 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 a place where you can look in somebody's eye and actually grow in relationship with them. We, that we is important. Emotions sometimes getting in the, get in the way of seeing clearly through something. And sometimes when we're standing alone, it's really difficult. So it's good to have people to stand with you. We. La- lastly, uh, as he so often does, God came up with an unanticipated way of deliverance. Verse 19. When Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, there he goes being mad again, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. He ordered some of the mighty men of the army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Verse 21. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, their other garments. They were thrown into the burning fiery furnace, all clothed. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the fiery furnace. What do you think they were thinking on the way down? This was it. It's been a good run. We thought he'd deliver us, but we're going to die. But God, being God, as he so often does, as I said, came up with this kind of unanticipated way. Verse 24, King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, "Uh, hey, did I miscount? Didn't we cast three men bound into the fire? Yes, O king. That's true, O king. He answered and said, but I see, what? Four men walking around unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like one of the sons of God. Somebody caught them when they fell into the furnace. Any guesses? God did. God did. God caught them. And he held them. 
And they walked around. Fire was hot enough to burn their ropes and stuff off like it was, but they walked around. The end of the story is Nebuchadnezzar goes, uh, you better get those guys out of there. We got to figure this out. And it says the three men came out. He didn't get the fourth one out. You know why? He couldn't throw the fourth one in. That wasn't his choice, right? God chose to meet them in the fire. Here's the thing. The presence of God there was better than not being thrown into the fire in the first place. Did you hear that? His presence is better than deliverance. Sometimes he rescues us from the fire. Sometimes he rescues us by letting us pass and move to be with him forever. And sometimes he meets us right in the middle of it. When we're falling down into the furnace, he catches us, sets us free, and then lets us walk around. This is, they were thinking, hey, I only got two options here. God's like, I got a completely different option. There's an unanticipated way that I'm going to bring deliverance. Like, I think I'll send a baby born on Christmas to become the savior of the world. Like, I think I'll let my son die in the place of sinners so so that he can bring salvation to people who turn to him in faith. He he gives us himself. And that's, that's way better than not going into the furnace in the first place. Think about the story that they told their grandkids, right? Like, whoa, remember that time? Like, there's just this witness that happens when God moves in this unexpected way. And when you and I get on board with, there are times when his presence is better than than our immediate deliverance. We can see him move in those unexpected ways. And we're going to come to a time of communion, church, where we remember that his presence is with us. His presence is with us. And, and as we take this little wafer and we take the little cup, it's a good reminder that it was because he became present with us that you and I have deliverance from the things that we faced, our sin and the penalty for it. So I'm going to invite you just to clear your space and kind of settle your heart down. And deacons, if you'll come forward to get ready to serve us, you've never been part of this before with us as a church family, um, we'll pass these elements down to you. And you just hold on to them and we'll eat together as a symbol of unity. And anybody who's a follower of Jesus is welcome to participate. First thing that'll come your way is this little wafer. It's a reminder that the body of Jesus was broken for you and for me. When we say that God came to be with us, we're not talking about, oh, he kind of came. No, no, no. He came to be with us. He put on flesh and blood. John said it this way, um, that we beheld his glory. Glory is the, uh, excuse me, the, the word became flesh and we beheld his glory. He put on flesh and we beheld his glory. Glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That's what we come to remember when we take this, that he is with us. He became one of us. So let's pray. Uh, Father, thanks for that. And Lord Jesus, thank you that you were obedient. 
And thank you that you are Emmanuel, the God who's with us. I pray that as we take communion here in these moments, it would be a sweet reminder, but a fresh reminder. For anybody today who feels like they have to stand alone or for anybody today who feels like the cultural pressure is overwhelming, I pray, Father, that you would help them to know that they are not alone and that you are with us. That would be a source of peace. You, God, who reigns over everything. You're with us. Make it fresh for us now in Jesus' name.